Thanks so much. And just thanks for the welcome that y'all have given um, me and my family um, over the last couple weeks. It has been awesome. And we are so just gracious and thankful that we have been invited to be a part of the City Church family. Um, I am thankful that I get to share um, from God's Word with you today. And it's awesome that Jeff would just let me have the stage like a weekend. So um, if you're new here at City Church, so am I. I have no idea what's going on, but we're here. And if you just keep coming, we're going to figure this place out together. So um, I invite you to, to keep coming back, and um, it's awesome to be here. Um, it is Thanksgiving, and so we're past Thanksgiving, and so we're thinking and talking about family a lot. And some of you have had more family in the last few days than you would like for the whole year, but, but you've had it, and you don't have to laugh um, too loud at that, depending on um, whose in-laws were with you. Anyway, um, no, it is, it's Thanksgiving, and we're thinking about family for the next month, a lot of us. And um, I, I know that the holiday season is here, and I know that we are all super concerned with the image of our family that we're putting out there because Christmas card season has arrived. And um, I don't know if you're like us, we started getting the first trickle of Christmas cards in the mail, and that's where everybody puts the best, most perfect image of their family onto a piece of cardstock and ships it to everybody that they know. And so you will see a picture on that card that, that shows that, like, for one instant, everybody in the family liked each other. Like, this is something like this will be on the, the Krantz family Christmas card. And, and everybody in that picture is happy to be there. And they love each other. They even coordinate outfits when they wake up in the morning. And they look exactly the way that mom thinks they should. And, and that is, that's the image that we really like people to see. Um, more realistic would be a picture like, like this. That's what 90% of our, our family picture session looked like. Um, it really, in every picture where our daughter is smiling, you can see the, the little pouch of fruit snacks that I was trying to hide in my hand to bribe her to just look happy. Um, Shiloh was not feeling that. that. That is more reality. And, and even beyond a picture session, like if you were to show up at our house at any given moment, you would see clutter everywhere because our kids can trash a room in five seconds. It's amazing at how fast they can just completely destroy a place. And, and, and if you're not just clutter, but there's crumbs everywhere, it, wherever you walk, there's a really good chance you're going to step in something sticky or, or a Lego or a Matchbox car that has razor blades embedded in it. Um, <laughs> at least that's what it feels like when I go through the house after dark. Um, no, it, and even beyond clutter, like there is the stress. There is the million things that are going on. There is the 27 conversations that need to happen before we fall asleep exhausted. Families are, are a little bit messy. They don't always look like Christmas card families. And normally when we talk about families in church, we would read um, something similar to Colossians 3, 18 through 21, that says, um, you know, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not, uh, do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And those are godly, good, Holy Spirit-inspired Words that are instructions to families. But those are also written to Christmas card families. 
Like that, that's what I feel when I, I feel like, yeah, when I see a Christmas card family, they probably do just need to tweak a couple things and they would be exactly who God is looking for. Like that husband probably just needs to love a little bit more. Those kids probably need to obey just a little bit more and then they're, they're there. I, I don't know that my real family um, gets there with just a couple tweaks. I don't know that most of our families get there with just, just a little bit of, of adjustment. Maybe your story is more like another family I know. It's a blended family. And there are multiple kids, um, multiple dads, but same mom. And that, that's a source of tension in the family because nobody has ever said it, but it is felt by the kids that one of them is more special and more loved because of who their dad is. And that has driven a huge wedge between the siblings. And when they were younger, it just looked like disagreements. But, but as they got older, it, it resembled hatred. Maybe you're like another family I know. They're not on the same page about who Jesus is. And so, so regularly, it is a source of tension in the family. And, and for some, it's, it's heartburn. And for others, it's, it's anger and resentment. And somebody feels outside in the place they're supposed to feel most in. And, and it's not what anybody would desire. Maybe you're like another family I know. And, and recently, some information has come out that, um, about a member of the family that makes trusting that person seem impossible moving forward. Everybody knows the, the family's trajectory is going to change because of this news. And to believe and trust again in this person seems like it would be absolutely insane. And then to do so, it would just be setting, setting you up for ridicule and taking that side. And maybe there was betrayal at a level that you can't even imagine. And if your family is anything like that, that's not a good Christmas card family. And you think, I, I need more than just a little tweak to get right. Jesus, how do you change a family like that? What, what does the Bible even say to a family that's as messed up as a real family? I think the Bible actually has a lot to say to it. I think Jesus has a lot to speak to messed up families with junk. Because every family that I just described to you is the family of Jesus. Jesus. Not like the, the metaphorical, worldwide, we're all a part of the family of Jesus. I mean the physical, biological family of Jesus of Nazareth. Here's what I mean. Matthew 1.18 this is like the, the simplest version of how we got baby Jesus. Um, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. There it is. Little Mary, good Jewish girl, engaged to Joseph. She has to come to him and say, honey, um, I'm pregnant. And you and I, we both know it's not, not you. But it's not anybody else either. How does that conversation go? Like, first off, that, that's physically impossible. That's never happened to anybody ever. There's no manual or, like, rules for how you're supposed to respond to that. And it's absurd, but even beyond just the initial absurdity of it, Joseph has a real choice to make. 
how do I trust her? Do, do I believe her and go with it and, and sign up to, to raise kids that, that aren't mine? And, and am I okay walking into town and hearing the comments under the breath of everyone for the rest of my life? Because of who my wife is, who my kids are. I don't know how I feel about that. Actually, Joseph, we get a little glimpse into his, family, his mind right after that. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not, want to be, um, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Right? Joseph's a good guy, but he's already forming his exit strategy. Because how on earth do you move forward with that? Christmas just around the corner. Spoiler alert, it doesn't end there, but we'll get there. Jesus would not just have um, issues in his coming into being. He would have issues with his parents. Luke chapter 2 tells a story. Jesus' parents lost him for multiple days. Oops. Uh, John chapter 2 tells a story of Jesus not fitting into the expectations of his mother. I don't know if any of you have ever been there, um, but it's possible that you cannot fit into the expectations of your mother, and Jesus dealt with that. He didn't have just issues with his parents. He had issues with his siblings. We don't have time for all the issues with his siblings. And I kind of get it. Like, you think you have an overachiever in your family. Try having God for a brother. Right? You go to mom like, no, really, Jesus did it. Uh Uh-huh. I'm sure he did. The man who has never sinned. That's the one who did this. You're going to put it on him. that's, That's the world that Jesus' siblings lived in. But it it all comes back to what we see in John chapter 7. It says, um, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He didn't want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Really good reason not to go to Judea, I think. Um, But when the the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. They lived in the same house as Jesus. And and they didn't get it. It would get to the point where in Mark 3, we see that Jesus is out doing ministry, preaching in a home, and Jesus' brothers show up publicly to try and pull him out of ministry because they think that he's lost his mind. John 19, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and it's the worst moment of his life. And John takes the time to to list off the people who are there. And he says, Jesus' mom's there, and some women from Jesus' ministry, John himself, no siblings. It's the worst moment of their brother's life, and even if they don't like their brother, it's the worst moment of their mom's life. And they're nowhere to be found. I don't know about you, I don't put any of that on the Christmas card. There's none of that that I say, we've got it all figured out. And honestly, if that's my situation, I'm asking, God, what do you do with that? Jesus, what do you do with that junk? How do you transform that? I think the first step we find in Ephesians chapter 1 
You can go ahead and turn to Ephesians 1. And I've been listening to the podcast. I know that City Church people bring their Bibles to church. Yes. Um, so if, if you did, go ahead and turn there. Um, and if you didn't, go ahead and like go to the electronic version um, on your phone. Whip it out just and highlight these few verses that we're going to read together. Because I think they really are, they do hold like a big, major key in figuring out how do we see Jesus transform our families. And Ephesians is a letter written to the church in Ephesus by a guy named Paul. And Paul was writing to this church that was full of new believers. And he's writing this about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And 30 years is enough time to sort of think through the implications of something, right? It's not just Jesus rose from the dead. Paul's had time to think, what does it mean that Jesus has risen from the dead? What are the implications of it? And so he's writing this church and he says, I'm encouraged by you. I'm thankful for you. I'm praying for you. When you chose to say yes to Jesus, you were able to step into the plan that God had put in motion from the very beginning of time. That's exciting, but I want something more for you. And so here's what he prays. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Did you catch the step that like transforms everything about your family? Maybe not. Part of it is that you're reading in English because that's what we read in what our Bibles are written in, but it's not what they spoke or wrote in in the first century. It was written in Greek, and and depending on your version, it said the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, or the eyes of your mind may be enlightened. It says a different word in different translations, because we can't really agree on what that word is supposed to be, because that word in the Greek is is a word that doesn't have a direct translation to our modern day English. There's just no one, one for one comparison. And so really, like literally, it means mind. But we think about a mind as the thing in between our ears that helps us know facts and collect information. And that's not at all what Paul is talking about. The mind or the heart, that word means, means the whole way that you process life. It's the filter that everything goes through. The way that you experience and interpret your life, that's what your mind is. And so what Paul is saying here in verse 18, and this is just the the Dustin Krantz version. um, He says, I pray that the eyes through which you see and understand this life would really be opened so that you could actually know the incredible hope to which you have been called through Jesus. Paul is saying, if, if you could actually gather what it means that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It would change everything. If you could move from knowing information and facts about Jesus to knowing Jesus as everything, it would change everything. He says, he says if, if you would understand this, if you would change the filter of everything, first off, you, you would understand the hope that you have been called to. 
right? The hope that is found in Jesus. And that's not just an eternal, far off, good someday hope. That is, that is right now. Because you have also been invited into a glorious inheritance. That there is a richness and a fullness to a life with Jesus that is not available anywhere else. And again, that life doesn't start way off somewhere. It starts right now. And last, he says, he prays that they would know the power that is available to them because they believe. Let's talk about that power for a second. The death rate for humans is 100%. Right? We all die. Nobody's figured out how to get around that. We can push it off. We can delay it. We've gotten really, really creative at all the ways that we can delay it. But it waits for all of us. It is the strongest, most inescapable force in the world. Yet... Paul says that when Jesus was risen from the dead, there was a power at work that was stronger than death. And that power is available to you if you believe. So let me ask you a question. What could a power stronger than death not change? What's too big for that power? What is too messy for that power? That's what Paul is saying. You guys have to grasp this. When you can move from from just seeing Jesus as, as this guy to the way that you process your life, when you understand the power that is available to transform you, everything will change. It's what happened in the family of Jesus. Remember Joseph and Mary, they're given the news that, that nobody really wants to get. And, and they're, Joseph's figuring out his exit strategy and they're not really sure where it's gonna go. And, and Mary, they're both visited by angels individually. And that angel gives them a picture of the hope that is going to come with Jesus. And Mary is able to say, generations will call me blessed because of this. And Joseph, who goes from thinking about what is his exit strategy, how do I divorce her quietly, he would end up moving heaven and earth to protect this little life that he had been given because he was given a picture of the hope that would come with him. He would make his family refugees in Egypt for two years to start their kid's life to make sure that nothing happened to this hope. What about Jesus' family? Jesus' half-brother James would write a letter to the early church. You have it in your Bible. It's called the book of James. And James, that did not believe in Jesus, he, he writes this to start out his letter to the church. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word servant, it's, it's another Greek word that has multiple English meanings. And we use servant because we don't like the, the other word that it can mean, which is slave. But think about that. The brother who wanted to drag Jesus out of house, out of a house so that so he could take him out of ministry because he had lost his mind. 
The brother who did not believe that was nowhere near the crucifixion when he encountered the risen Lord. Everything changed. And he said, it is better for me to be a slave to Jesus than any life I could have outside of him. That is the richness and the hope that I have been called to. The resurrection changes everything. And when we discover Jesus, the way that his family discovered Jesus, because for them, after the resurrection, Jesus stopped being a placeholder at the dinner table. And he started being the Lord who could change anything. And when we stop having Jesus as a placeholder at the dinner table before we eat and allow him to be Lord of everything, that's when everything can change. What does that look like? What does that look like for your family? I I don't know. There's not a checklist. There's not a magic formula of do this, this, and this, and everything's wonderful. I will tell you, there, there are different places that people have connected with Jesus over the centuries, time and time again. The first one, I would ask you, where does the word of God live in your family? Right? The best, most direct access that we have to the heart of God is in his word. And if Jesus' words and God's Words don't have a place in your family, it will be really hard to see your family start to look like God's word. And so I don't just mean, do you all go to Bible studies in different places? Like, do you actually talk about the Bible together? I was blessed as a kid. Um, my mom would do her quiet time in the mornings right outside of my bedroom. And so I would wake up and I would half asleep, like go out and I would see my mom reading. And she didn't ever say anything to me. She just, that's what she was doing. But later that night, she would say, you know what I learned in my quiet time this morning is this. And who God was became a little bit more real than just words on a page. Every night, we, we do story time before bedtime. And we, and we read all the fun books. And then we also, we read the Bible. And my son, he loves hearing stories, um, not just like reading them off of a page. And so we, we have our versions of the Bible stories. And he has named all of the unnamed characters in the Bible. And he is very happy to tell you about the, the stone that kills Goliath and, and how his head gets cut off with a sword. And he loves it. The Bible is real. And, and even with our daughter, who's going to be two this week, I mean, just pointing at the Bible pages and saying, this Jesus guy, we like him best. He's our favorite. Is Jesus a part of your home? Do you talk about the word of God together? At dinner, just, where do you see God at work in your life today? When your kids don't like story time anymore, are you walking through like a devotional plan with them? Right? They can read on their own, but, but are, you, are you walking through that together? Saying, let's dive in. When you're having hard conversations with somebody in your family, are you reading the words of Jesus beforehand? Jesus, how would you have this conversation? What would that look like? How, how, what does my attitude need to do to look more like yours? Because when you do that, you are bringing Jesus into that conversation. And so many times, the way that he would handle something is different 
for how I would handle that conversation. Second, I would ask you, where does prayer live in your family? What role does prayer have? Is prayer that thing that we do before we eat? Or, or is prayer the way that we talk to our Lord? We talk about everything. When we have a problem, do, do we run to social media? Or, or do we say, I, I want to lift this up before Jesus? When some of your family's having a hard day, are you praying through that day? Because if there is a power that is able to conquer death, the way we access that power is through prayer. Prayer is us asking God, you be you in my world. Make this place more like heaven. And do that with the power that only you have. If those aren't regular conversations in your family, I don't know that God is going to be changing a whole lot. I would ask you if you're a part of, of, of Jesus-centered communities, right? Do you worship together? Do you have a life group that, that you apply Scripture to life, where you talk through, what does it look like for, for Jesus to become the filter that everything goes through? Do you serve anywhere as a family? And lastly, I, I ask does Jesus get to be a part of the everyday boring stuff? Does Jesus get to ride to soccer practice with you? Does Jesus get to run late to soccer practice with you? Does Jesus get to run late to church with you? Does Jesus, does Jesus put on his makeup in the, the car visor because that's the only time that you have to do another thing on the way to wherever you're going? Does Jesus sit down and file expense reports at work with you? If you are not bringing Jesus into the normal, everyday things in your family, how do you expect every day of your family to be changed by Jesus? So, how do I start? where I go from here. Like, you may be thinking, I, I'm a teenager. I am not in control of my family. I'm not the decision maker. I'm a student. I don't, I don't have, like, a family right now. It feels like I'm just sort of floating somewhere. I am, I am so far from being a dad, uh, a husband, a wife. Our family is, is messed up. We don't look anything like what you're describing. I have no idea how we would get there. If that's what you're thinking, I would tell you, start somewhere with something. You do not have to be in shape to go to the gym, right? If you are waiting for your family to get like perfect and to have that all figured out before you start bringing Jesus into it, you will never bring Jesus into your family. It's just not going to happen. And so you've got to start somewhere with something. And I think it starts with making a choice to want what Paul wants for the Ephesians. I think it starts with praying what Paul prayed. Jesus, would you be the thing that transforms every part of our lives? Jesus, would you remind us of the hope that we have in you? Jesus, would you, would you show us just how good life is with you? How much better it is than any other life we could have? Jesus, would you remind me that that power that was able to conquer death is real? I could use that power. 
So, today we're going to close a little bit differently than normal. I have no idea what normal is. I know that. But I'm told this is a little bit different than normal. Um, we are, we're going to invite you to say a prayer, to make a choice, to say, let's do something right now and take a step. And so uh, I'm going to invite you here in just a minute to, to go ahead and stand up. And, and we're going to pray together out loud. Um, the words are going to be up on the screen. And if that's totally out of your comfort zone, don't. You don't need to. Like, no pressure at all. This is not a man. This is, this is saying, God, I need something. And I want to start. And um, on your way out, we have, we have cards printed. And it, these have the words of the prayer on them. And I want to invite you past today to make this your daily prayer. Put this somewhere that, that you're going to see it on your nightstand, medicine cabinet, car visor, desk at work. Wherever it is that that you're going to run into this, have this be the thing that starts your day. Ask God for the power that can change anything, to change you, to change your family. So the words are going to be up here. I invite you. Go ahead and stand and let's pray. Jesus. Today, I thank you for the hope you have given me. I pray you would help me know that hope today even more than I did yesterday. Remind me of how much better life can be when it's lived in you. So today, I give myself again to you completely. Change me as an individual, as a child, as a sibling, as a spouse, as a parent, and as a grandparent, now and for the rest of my life. Change me with the same power that was able to conquer death. I need that power. My family needs that power. Our world needs that power. You're the only one who can change us. And today I ask you to start by changing me. What would it look like if that's how your family started every day? How might our family be different? How might our city be different if there if there was a movement of people who started their day like that i would love to find out